Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are joined by two of our very, very special guests, uh, first-time returners on our show, Adri and Mario. Say hi, guys. Say hello. Hello, Hello, everyone. And so for clarification, (laughs) it's Adri Callis and Mario Ferrari. Uh, So today, I mean, this is the first episode which gets it's on specifically it's on imposter syndromes which which we're going to define very shortly but uh the roundtable episodes are going to be a little more freeform it's just going to be us talking as a roundtable with different guests uh getting different perspectives from different types of psychologists and psychological researchers and just talking about cool things so imposter syndrome is really interesting it's really prevalent in our in our area and in our profession Uh, and we thought a lot of people would be really interested in hearing that topic we're still going to do be doing interviews uh, we really enjoy learning about new research uh, by interviewing researchers across Canada, across North America, and hopefully in the future across across the globe. But today so we're talking with a, a few friends and colleagues about a topic that we're interested in. So we're going to get into it right now. Ironically, though, as we are doing a roundtable for just a visual representation for the listeners, it's, it's the table, table is... is <laughs> It's rectangular. rectangular. It's quite so, rectangular. Not that's even a convenient rectangular. Yeah, it's like long rectangular. <laughs> okay, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so just so it feels like the, the audience is here with us having this discussion. Uh, how are we going to start this off? What do we want to do? What is imposter syndrome? Do you, one of you guys want to explain it? Or who wants to explain what imposter syndrome is? Well, I think to a certain extent, we kind of all implicitly know or have suspected that we felt it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking off the cuff as like we in terms of graduate students <laughs> but we don't we don't want to like sort of we don't want to close it off at that because we, we think that there are a lot of other people that have experienced this in a lot of other professions and situations as well yeah but um where do we start what is it yeah how, how can we define it so i guess we can go through like the basic definition of how it's been defined in research right so i actually really like wikipedia's definition of it because i think it speaks really let's start there it says um The imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which people doubt their accomplishments and have a persistent, often internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And and also, it's important to note, um, we've done a bit of background research for this episode as well. All of us, the guests and and Kyle and I have have done research on it a bit. And it's also referred to in research as the imposter phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So we're going to explicitly call it the imposter syndrome because we feel that's the nomenclature that most people are familiar with yeah i think i think phenomenon is probably a better way of describing it but syndrome is the current classic nomenclature that is. do you guys have any examples where you feel like a fraud in any p- capacity where you feel like you're an imposter i'm i'm not hesitant to to tell some of my personal experiences because mm-hmm. i think absolutely i've experienced this and I think to not experience this in graduate school, in, in learning to be a clinical psychologist, would be atypical. Because uh, you're just I'm faced with so many new uh, and interesting and difficult challenges as a, a therapist in training that you, you can't help but feel like, you know, this, this is all this is all really new and, and it's something that, you know, potentially a lot of us have kind of idealized in our minds. Uh, we've we've had this idea of us being an you know this ideal self that we want to be a, a therapist, and when we're actually put in that room with with other people and we're doing the therapy, it can be surreal. It can be you can really be overwhelmed at times with a feeling of like, wow, uh, am I really qualified to be here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Have, has, I don't know. Is that has that been the same for you, Audrey? I think like just kind of tracing back how I had felt over the course of my first year of grad school, and I've, it's, I sometimes feel this way as well, but you get in and usually pe- people are really excited, right? It's like, I've made it. Like, this is really hard for me to get into. I'm here now, you know. Then after a while, the excitement kind of dies dies down, yeah. you know. Um, and with, at least in our school, the first course, the first equalizer for everyone else is statistics. <laughs> so everyone takes oh. first-year graduate statistics in psychology. At UBC. At UBC, at UBC course, yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of true for Generally, yeah. for most other programs as well. But you, because of the way that statistics, how, how, I would say it was somewhat difficult. When you're faced with that kind of challenge, you're challenged mentally in that way, it's very easy for you to feel like, how did I end up here, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone else seems to be doing fairly well 
seems to not be as panicked as you are, which is an interesting thing that I guess like you guys can speak about as well, where like it's a like imposter syndrome or phenomenon is an internal experience that you have, right? So you feel this way, but everyone else looking at you doesn't doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard for you to to see that in others. So you, it, it almost adds to it because you feel alone in a sense where like, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to be here. I don't understand any of this. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I wanted to say this when we're talking about the definition, but the definition on Wikipedia talks about there's all this jargon, a psychological pattern in which people doubt their accomplishments. So we have this flavor of competency that I think Adrian is talking about. But I think just to sum it up and to make it relatable, it's a feeling of not belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, or not being deserving of. Yeah, that I, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's true. Like not not belonging by virtue of not being good enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think it's really interesting. You know, you brought up the stats, and I, I vividly remember sitting in the stats course and, and thinking to myself, like, oh, man, I'm in way over my head. Yeah. And I look around, I see, you know, Drake sitting there. We've got other friends who... Stonewalled. Just yeah. looks like he knows everything. He knows everything. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> but, you you know, you you don't see that on them. You no. don't see that fear and that panic and that worry. Like... It's all internalized. Yeah, and so, no, and that's exactly what I want to highlight is it's that internalized fear. Mm -hmm. Because I'm I'm certain there was somebody else who sat in that course and looked at me and was like, oh, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm an imposter. I don't know what's happening. But, you know, we're all feeling that. And that's that's such an interesting kind of way of thinking about what's happening around our world is. And it, it speaks to that distinction between the internalized and externalized worlds that we exist in. You can't be an imposter if you tell people about it right <laughs> so like an imposter is when we, when we think about an imposter it's someone that is kind of hidden in plain sight yeah in a sense so if we translate that to what we have been experiencing it's kind of the the idea that if you feel this way you don't you, it's not something you talk about in a frank conversation with someone you you, you don't usually you don't usually hear people say i'm way in over my head i feel like i don't belong here mm-hmm. so there's almost a certain sense of like secrecy to it that comes with this and and even talking with that that's that's a it's a very vulnerable thing to say like to to do that to expose yourself in that way you have to really be comfortable with an individual that you confide in to do that and i think i mean as we go on as we're going to talk more today about it i think i think that will be a big part of it i think Mm -hmm. or i think from the limited amount of research that we've been exposed to in this area i think being vulnerable and being able to have support from others may play may actually be a good thing for people that are experiencing imposter syndrome. Again, this is all speculation on 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 our, <laughs> our part, but this is, these are things that we're interested in uh, and that we think might play a role in it. I mean, I wanted to, as you guys are all giving examples of of like your experience of imposter syndrome, we did uh, I did solicit some feedback from our our listeners to see if anybody had stories that they wanted to tell or anything like that, and I wanted to give it a different perspective. Um, that is non-academic. Uh, so, uh, a listener, well, a listener expressed that she 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 definitely experienced this during school. So she went and did undergrad in psychology, oddly enough. But the the psychology aspect, she felt like she was an imposter in that situation. She felt like she was not qualified enough to be in that position that she was in. And then she later went on to do work and do be very successful in uh, in her line of work and continually get awards, get recognition for her great for the great work that she's been doing, but she constantly felt, even though she's being recognized with, with awards and all these amazing accomplishments, she still felt like she was deceiving others and she was a fraud in, in, in that position and that she shouldn't be in that position. And I thought that was really, it's a great example, it's a great example of what we're getting at here. An individual who could be getting awards, could be getting these amazing accomplishments, still thinks that they're undeserving of what they're in and, and that they're lying to people or deceiving. Mm-hmm. So yeah. y- you bring up a really good point, which is that competency is not in question here for these individuals a lot of the time. And it's it's just an overwhelming feeling and kind of a cognitive distortion of thinking that despite all of this evidence in front of me that I'm doing good work, I feel like a fraud. Yeah. And it's it's re- when you describe it like that, it just it sounds really pervasive. And, and I think for a lot of people, it can be a really serious issue that really kind of gets in the way of, of doing productive work. We should address the reason why we have you guys on as guests today. 
and you guys are from a clinical diff- different like perspective you guys can take a clinical perspective so we wanted you guys to come on and talk about this uh because you have that different perspective mm-hmm. uh kyle and i are not in clinical we are not uh working with individuals on a daily basis as a clinician so we want you guys to kind of give your perspective and you guys have a lot to say on this so what do you guys want to talk about with regards to that what's your perspectives give us your perspectives i think first of all we should first be be clear about like why it is we why why it is we are kind of struggling with imposter phenomenon versus imposter syndrome mm-hmm. right where with syndrome we there's this underlying understanding or this underlying assumption that the like syndromes are constellations of symptoms that people have that then impair their functioning right so it's all of these things that make it that hard for someone to live the life they want to live whereas i think with when we when we talk about imposter syndrome being kind of really common in graduate students it, it paints a really morbid picture for people but i think it's also important to remember that the reason why we're kind of struggling with these definitional things is that w- I think when we talk about imposter phenomenon, it's more of an experience that people have that exists on a sort of continuum, right? Some people struggle a little bit more with it. Other people, you know, they have it once because they've been having a hard time of school or something like that, and it kind of goes away. Um, Not to discount that that phenomenon exists, but I think that it's important for us to know what the differences are between them and, like, what is more inclusive as kind of an experience that people might be might be having. I think what Adri was getting at that I want to stress is to not pathologize either of these terms, yes. mm-hmm. not use them as like any kind of label or to not think that there's kind of like a cutoff to say, you know, you meet these criteria and now you are... I need to see treatment an imp- for... Yeah. yeah. And that's not to say you, you shouldn't talk to your therapist yeah. or to a therapist about this, mm-hmm. um, but it does seem to exist in quite a like a variety of extents and yeah so, um i think it's also really in, like one of the reasons why we find it such an interesting topic to talk about is that although we fall on different parts of that continuum we are instantly when someone says that they're like oh i felt that before yeah and um it's it's ironic um in a sense where you don't want to tell other people that you might be experiencing that but when someone mentions it it's like oh Really? I thought that right before. Away. It's just like, I it's think, a snap. And it's, yeah. It's, it's certainly a common experience. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's not stigmatized, at least in our kind of circle of, of uh, academia, is because it comes with accomplishment. It's part of the reason why you're feeling this way is because you've accomplished something that you don't feel like you've deserved. And so in that sense, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's a little bit of prestige to it. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, you still don't hear a lot of people admit to it. Yeah. It's still something that some people are defensive about. Some people don't talk about. Uh, and based off of what I've read, this does seem to be an actual characteristic of impo- imposter syndrome, which is that it kind of masks itself. It kind of goes unnoticed because people don't like to admit that, you know, to their colleagues that this is how they're feeling about their accomplishments, that they're feeling about a fraud because that would kind of play into uh, revealing anything that might make them feel more sec- insecure about themselves. Mm-hmm. So something I kind of want to play the devil's advocate here because I think we're all on the same page because we've all experienced it. But I want to play the devil's advocate. That's a good journalist move. Right yeah, there. thanks. Yeah. I'm trying my best. Jeez. Yeah. We're uh, professionals. <laughs> trying to be professional. <laughs> I, I'm an imposter in this profession of podcasting. So, and I, th- I don't think that's actually a misstatement. I, no, I not can at actually, all. I am an imposter amazing. when it comes to podcasting. But um, playing the devil's advocate, I want to say. What if people think that imposter syndrome is more more or less someone trying to bait out compliments on their achievements? Do do you see what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. if you say, "Oh, I don't feel like I deserve this," or "I'm an I feel like an imposter," what basically eliminates the thought that you're just trying to get compliments or getting trying to get uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? How do you distinguish between humility, a certain amount of? Of yeah, you're like you're asking for this recognition from others, or mm-hmm. or a ch- or acceptance from others, or like basically to gloat about that you so, actually. So have you're asking, you. can can someone use the facade of mm-hmm. imposter syndrome as kind of a vessel to fuel narcissism? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. 
that would probably be the most appropriate way of, of going about it. I mean, I could see other people saying that, oh, this is just like, this is a privileged thing to have. This is an attention seeking. Yeah, you you are, you're an accomplished individual. You're successful and you feel like you're not good enough. Boo-hoo, yeah. like sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. So accomplished, but you just don't feel like you're accomplished. What is, what can we say to that? Well, that I know, thought. I know Adrian has something to say, but before he says it, I'll say <laughs> that I don't think like narcissistic tendencies and imposter syndrome are mutually exclusive. I'll preface this by saying that I'm I'm not an expert on narcissism. I know that there are experts yeah. on narcissism uh, that I've spoken with that might be cringing at what my explanation is going to be like. But I'll just say broadly that uh, narcissistic narcissistic personality traits might be one potential cause as to why people are experiencing imposter syndrome because they might be brushing up against a circumstance or a challenge. You know, example graduate school uh, where now all of a sudden they're not getting that. Uh, that feedback that they're used to that raises their self-esteem and grandiosity uh, because now they're among peers who are just as accomplished just as smart and you know they're not they're not getting that boost to themselves above others and this is problematic for the narcissistic personality Mm -hmm. Um, it could lead them to start to feel like they don't belong because uh, for maybe uh, the first time or um, for the second or third time in their lives so on uh, they're not feeling secure. I, I think it's it's also important to to think about like where that comes from, right? With narcissism, when we talk about narcissistic personality disorder as a, a pathology, we think of you know what is it that spurs that? Part of that is kind of this fragile way that one views himself, right? Mm-hmm. So in order to bolster that, what do you do? You look to others to help you kind of decide okay how good how good i am but i also think that like we uh like if we look at kind of people in general right the general population we all exist on a continuum in terms of narcissism as well because when we like just kind of getting back to what you guys were saying when we do seek validation for like when you do tell someone like i feel like i feel like a phone i don't think i'm supposed to be here Mm -hmm. isn't part of that when someone says, ah, I feel that way as well, is there, there's a validation there, right? Or if someone says, like, no, you can do this, yeah. right? I think everyone, to a certain ex- extent, who are, he- like, it's a healthy way for you to get the support that you need, right? So w- we have to, like, really look at, like, what is it that this person's saying right now, right? I don't feel like I belong here. I feel like what they're communicating is that I need you to, to tell me that I do, Yeah. right? I need this validation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of, to a certain extent, it's kind of subjective, Mm-hmm. In a sense, like, is that looking for a, like, am I looking for compliments to, mm-hmm. to bolster my my grandiose sense of self, yeah. or is it more like I just need you to tell me that everything's gonna be okay? It's it's how genuine that interaction is. I think is the really important yeah. part, right? It's like achievement is a big part of it, right? I think when you're being tested or when you're being evaluated in in in, in situations, so be it uh, workplace where there's constant assessment of, of performance uh, in school, when you're being tested, you have grades, uh, you have, uh, you're required to do certain things like publications, things like that. There's always this, this constant assessment and you feel like you have to meet this lofty goal, lofty goal, which I think also Mario was getting at before is this is like the ideal self where you want to be, uh, who you're supposed to be who you're supposed to be who who you see others as being mm-hmm. that okay. are being presented so as. I think we talked about this uh before we actually started officially rolling <laughs> um so maybe we'll clarify just yeah, let's a, do it. Yeah, yeah. a little bit and and this idea is i don't it's not my own a lot of these ideas are coming from some of the reviews that are out there based on uh, other researchers uh um evidence mm-hmm. uh, but it, it seems to be the case that researchers are, are thinking that there's this disconnect between the actual self and the ideal self. And this is what imposter syndrome uh, kind of, this is one of the ways that it's theorized to kind of develop. And now that disconnect develops in a number of different ways. And there have been several different uh, ideas for how that can happen. Uh, But at the core of this explanation seems to be this facade that people put forward, this mask, uh, and then the actual selves that they think are much lesser than their ideal selves or this facade that they're showing everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we have to be aware of is that, especially at a university level or even a high school level, anybody who's left high school or university has gotten a grade. And it's always out of 
and you're always scoring, unless you're the perfect student, you're always scoring less than that, right? Has has anybody here ever gotten a hundred percent in the course? Yeah. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, yeah, you have would I say hundred percent in the course. I came close once. I have gotten hundred percent. Actually, I got hundred and one percent because I got bonus marks. <laughs> Data management. What does 11. that say about the course, though? Yeah. Like, how do you get up? People are saying about great. So, so my point though is that is is that you're. You get through this course, whatever course it may be, yeah. and and you know, psychology at UBC, there's it's graded to an average, so it gets scaled, um, and an average student will leave with a master or a, a, a major in psychology at seventy percent. So somebody told them, you know, approximately seventy percent of what what we expected you to know, and then they move into the workforce. But is it 70% of what we expected you to know? Right. That's the idea. Isn't 100% what we expected you to know? Because you're touching on them what, what you want them to know? All right, I'm just saying there's a bit of a disconnect between the percentage and yeah. in the actual knowledge that a... you've retained. No, right? but but that's exactly my point, though, okay. is, that, is that you, you move out of that situation and you move into a workforce where... Uh, you know, you, you might have been hired because you were you had this skill or this this knowledge base, or you went to school for this particular thing, and suddenly it's like, oh well, we trust you to do it, and mm -hmm. you sit there and you say, well, man, this is really flattering, but I only actually ever got seventy percent. Like, no. how am I supposed to? We're I so, know seventy percent of what you want me to know. We're so results driven. I think as a Western culture, we're just so results driven, and I think this is an example that I could kind of blend bleed into your example is that how do you apply to a job you attach a resume mm -hmm. listing your achievements and then you might get that job and those achievements that are on a paper may not actually tell the whole story and they never do tell the whole story right in what way though and that you can say oh i have ex i'm i have experience in this this field i am uh proficient in these programs like word excel whatever so a million people can say the same thing and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all on the same page mm -hmm. and so your competency or your, your level of confidence in that position can vary drastically between individual and I, I think i think that's fair to say and so i could imagine a hundred people going into the same position to work and them having different feelings of their competency or their ability to to succeed in that and i think that imposter syndrome would definitely play a role in, in a lot of those not necessarily all of them but like Imposter will play a part in, in some of those roles where people are like, I actually don't know if I deserve this job, even though I ha it says I have these achievements or I know that I have these 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 competencies or these abilities to do these things. See, I thought you were kind of alluding to this idea that, you know, a lot of us kind of embellish oh, our that too. our resumes. <laughs> oh, um, absolutely. 100 percent. Yeah. And, and I can. To. I, yeah, of course, exactly. This is what we do. We we, we try to because we're so result driven. Exactly, yeah. and because mm -hmm. we, I think all of us implicitly have at least some of this little, you know, this little bit of this dimension of you know imposter syndrome, and that a lot of us are pretty modest and and don't sell our accomplishments like we need to. Yeah. But I think what you were saying is that we get to a point where we've kind of embellished our resumes, gotten the job, and now feel maybe a little bit guilty, like. Yeah. Did I really have the credentials? Because I kind of tweaked this and I kind of made it look like mm -hmm. I did this. When, you know, a lot of the times it, it maybe is just distorted thinking and mm -hmm. we actually do have the credentials, but we still have this imposter mm -hmm. feeling. Did I oversell myself? Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that I've I've been very like self-conscious about because in, in academia you have to sometimes write it bios or write like... Uh, is that that's the worst, oh, right? That is you have to write about what you've done and why you deserve something. Right. That is the most. I, I've I've heard this from a lot of people. It is exceptionally hard to write about why you deserve something, and I imagine this holds true for most people. When you have to explain why you are better than others and that you deserve something over others, because I think it, it comes from this idea that you should always be humble. Yeah. You should always yeah. be humble, but it's also so given, given the situation, you should also be not humble. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's you not can't a, be humble. It's not an idea that everyone holds strongly. No, I think it's true. an idea that we have uh, as researchers, uh, as clinicians, we abide by a certain uh, list of ethical principles, and and part of that you kind of just you, you it kind of gets ingrained in, in you that you need to be humble and not overrepresent yourself, especially uh, you know 
when it comes to doing therapy and, and things like that. I think that holds true for every for every profession for the most part. Most yeah, people do not have to, yeah. Yeah, and so that really clashes with scholarship applications where now <laughs> all of a sudden you have to say that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread yeah. and you deserve this money. Yeah. And by scholarships, like I don't mean, like I don't mean to say that this is a, obviously just a phenomenon that appears in academia, although it does seem to be the case that and I guess maybe this is just us being involved in it in, yeah. our, in our bias. But the context that I first heard of the imposter syndrome was academia. But that's not to say that it's not really rampant and really prevalent in other fields. Because there are other fields where you have to apply for promotions and jobs. You have to compete with your peers. And it's just the same as academia in yeah. terms of... It doesn't matter if you're working at McDonald's or Yale or Harvard or wherever else. Do I work harder than this individual that's also going for that promotion? Or do I do better than this person that's mm -hmm. probably coming from a different area in the, in the city that could be doing a better job than I'm doing right now? Right, like, and that's matter. why I like to kind of relate to this, uh, this syndrome that, you know, this... Thing that we're talking about as a feeling of not belonging because you can feel like you don't belong in so many different professions in so many different contexts it need not be just academia it just happens to be academia a lot of the time because we're academics yeah <laughs> yeah but and, and we have this experience and and we can only share from our own perspective right, right. um drake do you have you ever had an experience with uh, the imposter syndrome or uh, no not not yet not yet. I'm just <laughs> Look at this guy over here. I'm kidding. Give obviously. us the dirt. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every day in my life, it, it seems like it's it's so rampant with, and, and I think we're gonna talk. Well, I think let's just bring it up right now. Uh, some of the work that we've looked at in uh, in imposter phenomena or in, imposter syndrome has addressed some of these things, and it's like it's almost like a checklist for me uh, <laughs> because I'm just hitting every box. But I want I'll bring it up right now. It's been suggested that individuals that are most likely to experience imposter syndrome are person for whom success came quickly i'm not saying success came quickly for me <laughs> so i don't check that box yeah, not me <laughs> uh, but first generation professionals people with high achieving parents members of minority groups or students i think that the first generation professional really speaks to me because i'm the first individual in my family to uh, really go into academia. And I think that also does play in my ability to kind of perceive myself as m among my peers and how I, I measure myself among my peers. So I, I come into our grad school with a chip on my shoulder thinking, I don't deserve to be here because my family has never been here. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm stepping on new territory. This is, this is, it hasn't been done. And then I'm against these heavyweights that have, their families are smart. They have <laughs> genetics on their side. Uh, they have like they have habits on their side. They've already they've already like set themselves up for success, and then I'm just kind of a sheep in wolf's clothing per, to say right. That's so actually I, a really good metaphor yeah. for how we feel. Sometimes. I mean, I I, I, ex I definitely experience it. I wouldn't say every day. Let's let's get real. It's not every day, but I mean, I, I experience it very frequently. I think it's a bad thing that I I continue to experience it, but I think it's it also plays a role in how I produce and, and things i do on a daily basis i feel like i have to produce more because other people are doing it it can be maladaptive though. so i think you're, you're highlighting one really interesting point that i found in the literature uh which is that that's kind of one way that people theorize uh imposter syndrome or phenomenon to manifest is uh this, this feeling like i need to overcompensate i need to like live up to this ideal self i yeah. need to work harder but i don't want to under like i don't want to underrepresent the other people that feel quite a different experience, uh, which might be uh, to procrastinate, to yeah. not do the work, uh, to... I don't deserve it, so why should I, like... Yeah, to be kind of uh, frightened by what feels like imminent failure. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, th these ideas are coming from uh, reviews that I've read, but it, it seems like there's a different experience as yeah. well that can be quite inhibiting. Absolutely. I, th I think that's a great point, and I can attest to that anecdotally as well and i imagine actually mm -hmm. shaking his head i imagine you can't too i wonder if 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 we should kind of talk touch on like the phenomenology or like what it is that what the experience is like for the person when we talk about imposter syndrome right yeah so like we can talk about what is imposter syndrome like when someone is faced with a very difficult kind of experience right so let's say your um your boss tells you to to do this one project you're like you're, you're gonna lead this and you've never done this before i'm like wait does he expect me to know how to do this right. and there's that feeling of uh, that feeling of being an imposter of like wait everyone expects me to be this way 
to be able to do this, but I have no idea. I'm way over my head. Then there's also the the kind of imposter syndrome that you feel like coming to school that's kind of the chip on your back where you're feeling like, okay, like I don't deserve to be here, so I just need to work super hard. Yeah. So I wonder if that speaks to two different kinds of experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Where the imposter syndrome in the presence of overwhelming work or impending um, expectations from others is going to make you feel like, I don't think, like, why why even try? Yeah. I'm screwed either way. Yeah, I mean, uh, point, yeah. Those are all, like, I think, excellent and, like, totally plausible manifestations of this. I think there's m- uh, maybe even another one. I'm sure there's tons of them. If you guys have other ones, like, I'm curious to hear them. But another one might be, like, just the crushing fear of being exposed yeah. as a fraud. Mm-hmm. So think about, like, how, how effective would you be in, in what you're doing if you have this, like, constant fear that you know the paper you put out or the maybe sporadically something's going to come up and people are going to find out that you don't deserve to be here mm-hmm. that's crushing and that i f- could imagine just leads people to be so withdrawn it, it's it's prevalent everywhere i think it's prevalent in every job and it's just so it's it's scary it's just scary thinking that, but I, I don't think it's it's representative of what's actually going on i think everybody feels some sort yeah of so we're getting really caught up in like this feels real <laughs> yeah mm. and i think a lot of the listeners right now are probably nodding their heads and thinking wow Damn like it. you know <laughs> this has felt very real and, and there may be the starting to question like is this imposter syndrome or am i actually really a fraud and unfortunately i'm not gonna telepathically <laughs> over this <laughs> you medium don't be able to story. answer that question for you but being that we're describing a phenomenon that's common and seems to be based off cognitive distortions, you know, it's reasonable to assume that, you know, if you can take a step back and look at your accomplishments, uh, that, you you know, maybe you probably do deserve to be where you are. A faculty member in the psychology department, someone that Mario and I do know pretty well, I hope, I hope we know pretty well, uh, Paul Hewitt, um, who's a clinical psychology professor at UBC, he was involved in a study looking at what are the kinds of things that contribute to this feeling like an imposter, you know, being this wolf in sheep's clothing? Yeah. So he's an expert in perfectionism, right? So according to him, there are kind of three ways that we can conceptualize perfectionism. There's the self-oriented perfectionism, which is, you know, demanding perfectionism from yourself. Right. And we have to kind of you wanting to be perfect, wanting to be perfect for yourself. Yeah. And then there's other oriented perfectionism, which is demanding these high standards from others. I think you could an example would be like the boss that expects everybody doing everything perfectly. Exactly. And who knows how well they're doing their job, but they expect perfection from others. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then you have this third kind of perfectionism, which is socially prescribed, which is, I think, very relevant to imposter syndrome which is perceiving others as demanding perfection from you right right? and so they looked at this and they found that actually yeah socially prescribed perfectionism is related to this feeling of imposter syndrome because if you feel the pressure from others to to be perfect and they are and and inside you feel like you're not or it doesn't seem like that seem that way you're obviously going to feel like you're an imposter. Like, how did these people have these expectations for me? But yeah, it's like it's the socially pres- prescribed perfection is almost like it, it, it almost the way that I perceive it, at least, is this social pressure that's on that you perceive to perform or to be as good as you can be. Right. So if exactly. you feel like there's more pressure for you to be better than you are. And again, kind of getting at what at, uh, what Mario was saying was it like this ideal self versus this real self. So what you think is the ideal, what everybody else thinks the ideal self is, where you should be. Yeah. Like, there's a huge dissonance between where you are and what you perceive other people expect you or to be. Or where you think you are. Yeah, exactly. or where you think, where you, you, think are. you are. Yeah, yeah. The ideal yeah. self is in where you think you are. If there's a dissonance between those, there will be a lot of issues. Like, yeah. That's where imposter syndrome feeds. Yeah, where I think. it fills up that space, right? Yeah, and I think it's... So So I get, I, I'll put the term to it. It's self-actualization is what... I think it's Carl Rogers that did this work. There's a bigger distance between the ideal self and the real self you might see this uh socially prescribed perfectionism as taking a bigger role right so yeah this could be um 
the result of someone who's already bringing into the equation perfectionistic tendencies. But I do think, like you pointed out, that at the core, there's this disconnect between the perceived and ideal self. And so I wonder how that develops. Um, how does that come to be the case? Because it seems like based on off this review that we're all sort of working from that there's at least some indication that there's personality traits playing into this. You can have perfectionistic personality traits. It might be one of the reasons why your perceived self isn't the same as the ideal self. Um, and then this might be a touchy topic, but I think I want to bring it up, but it could also be upbringing. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not my idea. This is coming from the review that the, the, there's this development of the self as we grow. This is not something that's really... Um, questionable you know we, we kind of come into our our, our personality our, our self that's something that develops over time but given the environment that's not maybe ideal it can kind of develop in a way where we second guess ourselves or, or don't exactly. value ourselves as we should yeah or maybe in in such a way that the the true self isn't validated mm. by friends by family by peers and so we learn to put forth this uh, this self that we think other people expect and right. want to see and this 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 idea of perfectionism that we were talking this one facet that yeah. we think is related um, and it's something that develops out of just maybe you know a, a situation that, that arises out of bad luck across the table we all we can we all kind of like okay they're looking at these three types of perfectionism that makes sense but there's more to it as well that they found as well in the study right yeah so they also found that so you have this socially prescribed perfectionism, but when they also looked at the relationship between other-oriented perfectionism, so this is, remember, like what, what I expect of other people. So I expect perfection from other yeah. people. So the boss expecting everybody to be perfect. Exactly. So these yeah. people who were higher on other-oriented perfectionism also showed lower imposter syndrome. I think I'm, I think I'm reading that right here. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is. So they showed lower levels of imposter syndrome. So to quote, the the article just so that we don't we don't misinterpret what they're saying this supports previous research suggesting other oriented perfectionism so again what you expect of others often co-occurs with narcissistic traits so this is more of an idea of grandiosity right where a more grandiose sense of self you know having a more grandiose sense of self may help perfectionistic people who are more other oriented um perfectionists avoid the feelings of fraudulence Right. That you might experience from imposter syndrome, right? So it might be protective in a sense to have a little bit because what might be happening is that other oriented perfectionism might be an analog of, you know, if you expect someone to be perfect, you already have a favorable impression of yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. In, in most cases. Mm-hmm. So that can be protective because I already know that I'm performing to where I should be. Other people should be doing better, right? The individual that expects everybody to be perfect probably assumes that they are, their real self is much closer to their ideal self. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, sorry for the poor audio quality, but we definitely forgot to to record an outro for the brain break. We hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. Uh, please go to brainbuzzpodcast.com, check us out, check out all our recent episodes and, and what's been going on there. and. Thanks for listening to this episode so far, and we'll see you after the brain break.
neon on the blacktop There's a gentle rain downtown A shadow pooling underneath me As it follows on the ground Kissed you when I saw you Stared deep into your eyes I meant to say I love you But instead I said goodbye To myself On these streets I'm someone else Shadows in the city Like a demon in the dark Come to tear us apart Welcome back from the brain break. That was Shadows by the Midnight, one of Adri and I's favorite bands right now, and they're they're not becomer. I'm yeah. excited. To, I'm Great track. Yeah. Uh, but the the beginning of the episode, we really got into what imposter syndrome was, uh, the impacts that it has, and, and kind of examples that we've experienced in our lives and we we've heard. Uh, but we want to leave on a more positive note, I think, or we want to address how to kind of get out of this funk or get out of this imposter syndrome and kind of what are possibilities for uh, how to adapt to this or how to react to it. We're going to go into what the research suggests or what, what we found that are good suggestions. But I kind of wanted to hear what you did, what you've done. I mean, other than just ignore it, <laughs> if that's what you did. I don't think it's something you can ignore because it's just always, you know, if, if you're constantly feeling like a fraud, it's just constantly on your mind. Presu- yeah. Presumably, that's one way to experience it. Yeah, and I think you got into it a little bit, too, is, like, the ebb and flow between... Or there's not necessarily a response where you're like, oh, I'm going to work harder. You could also procrastinate because of it, and it's like, there's not necessarily a guaranteed response uh, to imposter syndrome. So, like, if you're feeling like, oh, I don't, I don't deserve to be here, maybe I should just slack off and just procrastinate. Right. There's no one way that we know that it's going to manifest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a few different ways that we've talked about and probably a lot more that we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do we do in that situation? Yeah. Do we procrastinate? Do we get into a bit of a, uh, you know, do, do we kind of fall into a bit of a slump and, and kind of just let things pass us by? Yeah. Hopefully not. But um, it's not just as easy as snapping our fingers and saying, okay, this is imposter syndrome. Let's get out of it. Mm-hmm. But that does highlight a good point is that part of a therapy called cognitive behavior therapy does try and target these kinds of issues as cognitive distortions and help you to learn techniques uh, to challenge them. Mm-hmm. So to help you in the moment say, maybe this is uh, imposter syndrome and I don't need to feel this way. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's it, really more complex than that. It's not like snapping your fingers. The techniques are somewhat involved and take practicing, um, but that's one way to go about it. Mm-hmm. The only time when it... I really do feel like uh, my imposter syndrome or my the imposter phenomenon kind of is is settled is when I discuss it with others and peers. Uh, when I talk about my 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 feelings of inadequacy or, <laughs> or my feelings of uh, lack of competence with others, and they kind of reiterate that I'm not alone. And so that's been really the saving grace for me is having friends and colleagues that also engage or experience the same things. So that's really been, it's not necessarily that it's an active coping strategy that I use, but after uh, experiencing a lot of negative uh, mood swings and a lot of like negative maladaptive outcomes from imposter syndrome, I feel like talking to friends or hearing other people's perspectives has really improved my experience from it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's because it provides a feeling of belonging. Mm -hmm. 
exactly it's you're not alone in this it's not just you that's feeling ex- like that you shouldn't be here mm-hmm. and i think that really does add a lot of value to the thought that i mean it's not just me that has this separation between what i want to be and what i i feel i am right mm-hmm. this ideal versus real and i guess part of realizing that you're in the same boat with so many other people is that well we can't all be imposters yeah mm-hmm. we're all here we're all here <laughs> we all got here because of x y and z and, and so that actually brings up a really good point that I wanted to kind of address and this, this, this saying that fake it until you make it. It's something that's been always, I mean, it's constantly drilled in my head. I don't know how many times my family members have said it or my friends have said it. Just fake it until you make it. And I feel like maybe that's just a part of life is that people don't feel comfortable in their own skin sometimes. And maybe imposter syndrome is kind of a manifestation of that is just to an nth degree where it's like, I have to, I have to pretend that I'm good at something until I feel I'm, until I'm confident that I'm actually good at it. It's something that I've always thought about is the fake it till you make it reminds me of imposter syndrome now that I think about it because like you may not actually be faking it. You might actually be competent in what you're doing. You just don't feel like you are. That's what I was thinking as well is that, is it actually, it's, it's less faking it till you make it, but like faking it is, faking it is making it. Tell yourself that you're faking it. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're going to fake something properly, you got to do it right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and when you are doing right. it right, then then you're actually doing what it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. What's your experience, though, Adri? Have you, have, what did you do in response to when you when you had imposter syndrome or you felt like you're an imposter? I, I think from I think my experience has been has been really similar to yours. That when I hear other people who feel that way as well, where you you go up to someone, and you're like, I don't even know how I'm here. Like I feel like there's all these other people who are doing better than me. And and then you hear from a friend and they're like, I feel the exact same way. And or you have people like, yeah, I felt that way as well. Like it, it passes or like you're always going to feel that way. But you also have to remember that everyone else feels that way. And I think like you guys have both alluded to a really important point where like a really big part of imposter syndrome of why it like affects us so much is because it f- makes us feel so alone. Right. Mm-hmm. You are the lone imposter here. Yeah. Whereas when you hear from other people that oh, no, I feel that way as well. There's a camaraderie where like, wait, oh, this isn't just me. So that that automatically takes away that other part of imposter syndrome that you're alone, right? Mm -hmm. Something that you can do for yourself is actually thinking about like, wait, is this actually realistic? Like what are the, what does making it actually mean in the sense, right? Um, When when will you feel accomplished? Yeah, what does belonging here actually mean to you? What do you have to do for you to feel like you're belonging, right? Mm -hmm. Is it fair? Is it something that you would tell... Is it something that you would tell your friends? If it isn't, why would you tell it to yourself, (laughs) right? Yeah. Or um, is it helpful, right? Sometimes it might be. Like you you guys were saying, sometimes the imposter syndrome is going to spur you to... Work harder. To work harder or whatever. But then in other situations, it's going to be... You're just going to feel down on yourself. Is that going to be helpful? And I think that applying that kind of perspective to feelings of fraudulence might actually be helpful. Yeah, I mean that's a really good that's a really good point. I, and something I'm interested in. I haven't found any research on it, but like the response to imposter syndrome, how many people do respond in a like I need to work harder, or I need to improve the way that I'm doing things, or is it more likely that individuals will respond negatively and say, I shouldn't be here. Uh, I'm going to procrastinate. I'm, I'm going to do worse because I should. I, I don't deserve to be here anyway. Mm-hmm. Something that kind of came to mind before we go into Kyle's example. Uh, this may be completely spurious and I, I just want to bring it up regardless. This, this something that I've been playing with is the idea that like our culture and, and with globalization and, and the internet, it seems like everything's all about the highlight reels or what's what everybody else needs to see and so we're always inundated with this this is the latest achievement that i've 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 accomplished or this is what i've done and this is what's the best part of my life and so we always see these things that people are accomplishing or doing and that may be leading us to think am i doing what i should be doing like am i doing good enough or am i doing what i should be doing or am i am i accomplishing as much as other people are accomplishing i don't know if that's if that's just me overthinking or, or overreaching correct me if i'm wrong but i think it might be playing a part too there, there could definitely be a part where technology or our exposure to other people's accomplishments might be making us feel like we are not where we should be 
Mm. Uh, we're not accomplishing what we should be in what we're doing. Mm. Well, also on that same vein, we're comparing ourselves against through social media or through through the internet in whatever capacity you use it. We're comparing ourselves to people who are the one percent of our field, right? And it doesn't matter what industry we look at. For us in academia, we see recognition of people who are so far beyond what is expected and so far beyond what um, what we can accomplish in any given point. It's hard, you know. I I, I think to myself like. Oh my goodness! Like I look at I look at people who have who have won really prestigious research awards, and I look at them I'm like, good lord! Like they're so far beyond me, it's not even funny. But what I what I forget is that the vast majority of people are so far, are 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 more like me. There are far more people who are more like me than are like that person, mm-hmm. right? And that's a really challenging situation to be in. Um, but you also don't like like with the highlight reels that people are nowadays being exposed to you don't actually get the full picture of what led to that person's circumstances right certainly it's not. like you don't get the full picture so you expect you know depending on your circuit like people are going to find themselves in situations that are going to be more amenable to them achieving more or getting more recognition depending on all a huge number of factors mm-hmm. sometimes that those kind of things don't align with where you are right now but i also think another question is that is it important right is it important for you should that determine whether you were an imposter or not is also another question you should ask yourself yeah yeah it's the 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 highlight reel kind of it, it it humors me in a sense that you can watch you can watch highlights of a game of, of like a say a basketball game or soccer game or a football game or whatever, and you're like, wow, that game that was a really exciting game. But if you were to actually experience that game in its full entirety, it could have been the most boring game. Yeah. Ever, I was like right? 10, 10 seconds out of five minutes, or yeah. ten seconds out of twenty minutes. Like you see the ending of the game, you're like, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah. no, that was not an interesting game if you mm. were there. Yeah. And so I think it's it's a beautiful analogy in the sense that. I may ha- may have gotten this award or I may have gotten this this accomplishment or whatever at work and that doesn't tell the whole story. You weren't there for when I was feeling down on myself. I felt like I shouldn't be where I am mm-hmm. at. But I still perceived to I, I still consider continue to uh, tread through that that you you see that goal yeah. in extra time. Yeah. 95th minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've seen the and, and in a zero zero or one nil game at that point, up to that point, like you've seen the only exciting moment, yeah, and, and that can account for one percent of your entire research career, yeah. And you know, a lot of us feel that way. Yeah, I mean, with, with anything, it's right. You don't see, you don't highlight things that didn't go well. Mm-hmm. You're never highlighting like, oh, this is when I got rejected on this, yeah, or this is when I didn't, I, I screwed something up really hard. Like you don't yeah. highlight that to people. Yeah. That's not what people see on social media you're like hey guys i really screwed the pooch today yeah <laughs> let me tell you what happened you don't you don't hear that yeah. so so that's what we're exposed to so i imagine that definitely has to play into it in some sense so yeah you highlight this difference between all of the the great things the polished things that we see from other people's lives or other people's academic lives whatever mm-hmm. and we contrast that with what is really salient about our lives which is not only our accomplishments, but all the failures that come with them, all the the boring stuff in between, and so we have more information about ourselves that we than we have about other people's situations, and this really, I think, lends to it as kind of the the theme that we're all getting at. So, I think it's important to, for me to recognize that I feel imposter syndrome all the time. You know, the idea of like, oh my god, I actually have to like stand in front of a group of people and defend this, or at some point, I'm going to publish this hopefully and somebody will eventually say hey what you did was bullshit it's bad it's wrong inevitably inevitably <laughs> um and yeah and I, I that well that's another thing but that inevitability of that criticism is is at times challenging and i think that actually feeds a lot into our feeling of imposter syndrome is that we know that we're going to get that critical feedback and um and knowing that we're going to receive it can sometimes uh, encourage us to think that maybe it's it's valid and that our work is not important but 
the one thing, the one experience I had was uh, sitting in a room in a conference and talking about talking about cognitive psychology research and people were talking about attention and memory and executive functions and all these really uh, and all the other cognitive domains that I, th I thought were really fascinating um, but I looked around the room and I thought man none of these people have any understanding of of my particular niche nobody understands how physical activity impacts cognitive performance and uh, and I, I suddenly realized, like, here I am in a, in a room full of peers and people I highly, highly, highly respect, but none of them can speak to what I can. And suddenly, to me, that, that, that just opened up the world. And I was able to say, oh, man, like, and, and not, that's not to say that I'm beyond imposter syndrome, because I think, as I just alluded to, there's a lot of it, <laughs> a lot of it currently going on. But that actually gave me an opportunity to say, whoa. I actually do know quite a bit and I know I know quite a bit in a context that these other people don't and therefore my knowledge isn't completely useless somebody can benefit from what I know so I, I think I this is kind of touching on something that I do and I, I gave a bit of a cop-out answer as to like I didn't exactly say what I do but rather what can be done in, in a therapeutic setting but yeah. but what I do is, is is try to maintain balance in my life I think that we really fall into the trap of being you know imposter syndrome or feeling like we're inadequate or not competent when we place a lot of value on you know that part of ourselves as being representative of you know ourselves like the self yeah so when we realize that you know there's there's more to my my self-image than academia there is me as a person how you know, kind, maybe unkind, I am. <laughs> uh, it depends on how you look at yourself. Or here are the things that I do outside. You know, I've, maybe I volunteer or maybe I, you know, I'm a proficient athlete. There are these other aspects that contribute to who I am. And it's not just this that is the self that I'm looking at all the time. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how I, you know, I try to stay grounded, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I honestly, it's always talked about that, like, you should have a social life or you should have other things that you enjoy. Uh, alongside the work that you do mm -hmm. regardless of what field you're in so it's but in the western culture we we tend to you go you go to a party you don't know anybody there what is the first question you ask someone after their name what do you do what do you do and what do you think they respond with what they do is work mm -hmm. right what what work they do what do they identify as that's the first thing they identify themselves as is i'm a I'm a researcher or I'm a student mm -hmm. or I, 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 I'm an engineer, whatever, right? That's how we identify ourselves. And so I think it's a, it's a really good point. It's like, I'm a musician or I'm a, I'm a, I, I love to do, I love to do these other things. I love to hike. I love to do this stuff. Like all these things could be identified, like, how you identify yourself. But we always, our first go-to is this is what I do 40 hours a week every week because I have to to make money. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so I think we, this we is can, what I'm employed to do. Yeah, we can really easily fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, we're inadequate, incompetent, worthless if we're placing all of our self-worth in one thing that maybe we, you know, that one thing we don't get a lot of feedback on all the time on whether or not we're good or, you know, the accomplishments are intermittent. So I think it's really important to have something else in your life that you're good at. And I mean, this is kind of a trope in saying this, but like, have a hobby, something that you, mm -hmm. some kind of skill that you can master so that you can kind of go to that to yeah. take your mind off of other things, but also to feel competent in this other domain. Yeah. Building on things that we've already talked about, a couple of things that have been suggested in research are to pay attention to the way that you self-talk or to the way that you talk to yourself and the way that you appreciate yourself and consider whether your thoughts are empowering or disabling. So kind of getting what Adri was talking about, are you, are you really addressing things appropriately is it, is it helpful is this really helpful yeah. for you that's a lot of cbt which i think mario actually mentioned yeah cognitive, cognitive behavioral yeah mario and Adri, you're getting at again clinically you want to address whether or not it's helpful or debilitating for you to have these thoughts is it helping you or is it is it, is it working against you um they suggest to make lists of your strengths i mean i think that's good to kind of do the pen and paper pros and cons what are you doing well what are you yeah. what do you need to improve on because I, th I think that gets at the being realistic right like okay yeah you think that you've not done anything like, okay let's yeah, let's what, let's find out let's list it let's yeah. put it on a piece of paper what, yeah. what have you done um except the perfection is unrealistic and costly 
Perfection is virtually unattainable. Yeah, it's... It's, it's almost entirely unattainable. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. We don't need... None of us are perfect. We don't need to be perfect. And the beauty of this, going off of what Adri was talking about, perfectionism takes different forms, right? Mm-hmm. There's self-oriented perfectionism. There's other-oriented perfectionism. And, and there's, there's the socially design, prescribed. Socially prescribed. Yeah. So the type of perfectionism that you're ascribing to is really important, right? So addressing that is really important, saying, is this realistic? And should I should I expect to be perfect? So these are very cognitive behavioral kinds of yeah. techniques. I think this is very, these are very good, and they can be very effective for people that um, are insightful or driven to do these, kind of practice these techniques, but they do kind of rely on you to practice them. Yeah. Because I think one thing we want to reiterate is that you can't just kind of challenge this thought once and then expect it to never come back i mean we we have to kind of keep on top of it i think there are definitely some other approaches i think uh, in the literature i saw briefly that um there's kind of like a a rogerian or psychodynamic kind of combined approach where it can be really helpful to find others that uh, acknowledge and value uh the actual self that you see as not the ideal self right so to find people that are don't really care about you know what do you want what you accomplish and they really could kind of see you and value you for where you're at or, or where you see your, yourself at so that that's one approach of course yeah. like there's the cognitive approach the psychodynamic rajirian of course. and uh, you know it, it really is about what works best for you yeah because none of them are wrong per se mm-hmm. definitely and so an, another another i mean building on the things that they've talked about in the research is that uh know that you'll need to develop your competencies competencies at certain times in your career so i think i think this is a really important note just because you feel like you don't fit in or you're, you're not competent enough in your area or in the work that you do doesn't mean that you shouldn't improve mm-hmm. you should still tr- like you should still try and improve as an individual or as as whatever you do if you feel incompetent maybe that's the point right like yeah. pushes you to be better but also that this might be an opportunity to learn yeah right yeah that. But only if you can appreciate it for that. Exactly. If you yeah. see it as a test as opposed to an opportunity to learn to be better, then sometimes that's problematic. Like if someone tells, if your boss tells you to do something, in their head, there's the expectation that you might ask for help, that you might make a mistake. But in yours, it's this do or die kind of situation. And some of the, some of those times it might be. Um, but for the most part, there's that room for you to actually make a mistake and actually learn from it. Um but if you're afraid, then that becomes an issue. And that's something that I think a lot of people can uh, kind of resonate with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can. I think, you know, speaking off the cuff, I think that some of the more successful or most successful people in any domain are the ones that can quickly get over their failures. Yeah. To not be really held back by them, to not feel, um, you know, suppressed by potentially failing in the future, but to just kind of do, fail, get over it, and then succeed. If practice makes perfect and no one is perfect, why practice? <laughs> I like that one. one. That's a good one. <laughs> if you know something, if you know how to do something, you're not going to learn anything new. Right? It's like you have to be able to un- be uncomfortable with something that you not you acknowledge that you don't know it to learn from it. If you're uncomfortable, that's okay. Try and move past it and accept that as being uncomfortable because you, you want to improve. The more you work towards improving yourself, the better you'll be. Maybe you don't feel like you're where you need, you need to be at this moment, and that's okay. I imagine all your colleagues are feeling the same way in the mo- <laughs> in most cases, right? I think we never actually said it, but I think there's a couple re- a couple articles that say that. I mean, they approximated that around seventy percent of people will like experience imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's actually undercutting it, probably. But I mean, yeah, I think that's a little bit low. Yeah, it's 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 seventy percent. Seventy percent. Okay. I mean. I definitely agree that there's a lot of people that are experiencing this. Mm-hmm. But is feeling incompetent imposter syndrome? Not at all. No. Not at all. Yeah. Feeling like you feeling like you're a fraud or you're deceiving people is what imposter syndrome right. is about. Feeling like you're not where you should. You're in a position that you should not be in and you're you're deceiving others is what imposter syndrome is. Right. Mm-hmm. Competency has nothing to do with it. Cuz I absolutely agree. I think you know 99 to 100% of us are going to feel incompetent at some point in absolutely. our lives. Absolutely. And you should. And you should in, in, are, in areas that you're trying to learn or you're trying to improve on. I think incompetency is important to growth. If you ever went into learning something, feeling competent in it already. That's a problem. It's not, that's you're problematic. not learning. It's not learning at that mm-hmm. point. It's, it's reiterating things you know. Yeah. I guess like f- 
from what I'm hearing from you is that at least one way of dealing with imposter syndrome is to be able to accept where you are, what you've done, but also to recognize or to understand that there are, there is also room for growth, right? But like when you lean on one and not recognize the other, I think it also becomes problematic, right? So if you don't accept that, oh yeah, you've actually achieved quite a lot, then you might feel like an imposter. But if you also don't understand that there's room for you to grow, then that becomes a whole other problem altogether. Mm-hmm. All right. So Drake and Kyle are feeling a bit like imposters right now. And s- because of that, they've asked me to sign them out. <laughs> and I'm happy to do so. And, and in doing so, I'm happy to say that this has been a fantastic uh, experience again. So thank you for inviting me. Um, and, you know, you can check out the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's Brain Buzz. Search it. Google works. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad?